Mother Teresa. I'm going to start with this question for you. I never really made the connection between a sister and a mother. Did you understand how that worked before doing this research? No, I don't know how that works. Like I'm curious to learn right now. Is there a difference between a a sister, like a Catholic nun and a mother? Let me guess. Is the mother the head, the leader of like the nunnery? Does that make them the mother? Yeah, I think if you're a good enough sister, eventually they just start calling you mother. And it was when she um, got to the point where she was running all of these, uh, doing all these uh, missionary work. She just got to the point where they stopped calling her sister Teresa and they started calling her mother Teresa. It was like an informal graduation. So mm. it's not a formal thing. It was more mm. of a, a way to elevate her even further upon just further from being just a, a sister nun. Interesting. It's just, it's a casual nickname. The nuns are given Teresa, the nickname mother Teresa. That's cool. I like it. Um, yeah. What did you think going into this about mother Teresa? Like what were your preconceived notions? What did you expect? Slavo? I knew nothing about mother Teresa other than her name. Did you know she was Catholic? I did not know she was Catholic. I did not know she was based out of India. I did not know that she is a saint in the Catholic faith. Yeah. I did not know anything. All I had was the picture in my mind of what she looks like. (laughs) I was looking at pictures of her when, so she died in the mid nineties. She was in her, um, 80s at the time but i saw pictures of her 20 30 years before that and she basically looked exactly the same i know yeah it's it's hard to imagine a young looking mother Teresa. well i mean she she became notable probably in what her 30s 40s is when she really started to kick into high gear when it came yeah. to um, getting a lot of recognition for the work she was doing. Yeah. So I think she yeah. probably wasn't photographed too much before then. Yeah. Good point. No, but going into it, I was a little apprehensive where I thought expected this knowledge of mother Teresa to go one of two ways. First way it would be like, wow, she dedicated a whole life. She's fantastic. Like, here I am making luxury purchases for air conditioners or a jet ski you don't need. And then she's out here, owns nothing, just doing great. It's kind of the feeling I get when I watch Sarah McLaughlin commercials. <laughs> they show you the sad pictures of a dog and in the arms of an angel. And then you just feel shit about yourself because you're just you're buying five dollar coffees. Yep. Here's a side note question. If you won the mega bucks lottery tomorrow, billionaire, how many, how many dogs do you think you would adopt from those infomercials? (laughs) Every time you saw an infomercial, (laughs) you had endless money, nothing really going on. How many, how many animals adopted animals do you think you'd have in your house? 
are those commercials are those only donations they want donations i think so yeah i think they're looking for donations okay so here's my opinion on that Mm -hmm. yeah all right let's hear it i think any charity that is paying sarah mclaughlin to be in their ads and then are then paying for ads clearly is spending a lot of money on stuff that's not the intent of the charity maybe this is getting into weird um charity stuff where it's like how much overhead is acceptable like a company or a charity like unicef or something like that where they raise gargantuan amounts of money but they also have gargantuan amounts of administrative overhead yeah i mean that's a huge question they have websites that rate charities and they will show you what percentage of their money goes to the causes versus advertising but then you can make the argument and i don't love it but you could make the argument that hey we need to spend seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year on this ceo's salary because this person's so connected they can bring in an extra three Mm -hmm. million and it's worth it i don't love it though i think you should be really frugal as a charity and, and you know, like like 99% of the money I think should go to the cause. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at on it. I like the, uh, the organizations that they, maybe your local animal shelter or something like that. Oh, absolutely. So let's bring things back all the way back. Back, 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 back. We're going back to 1910 you know anything significant that happened in the year 1910? Someone was born. You're exactly right, Paz. This name, I'm going to butcher it so bad. Anies Gonje Boyajiu. Nailed it. Crushed it. Was born on August 26th, 1910. She was born in Albania, which I did not know that she was Albanian originally. Yeah international figure as we will see because she goes to ireland and then Mm -hmm. india but yeah born in albania she uh was born in the city skopje which is now the capital of north macedonia Mm -hmm. the um albania and all those countries around there serbia and there there's always there's been a lot of movement in the map around there, <laughs> which we, we do not have to get into. But um, so interesting, North Macedonia, uh, they played in Euro 2020, their uh, soccer team. Wow, shout out. I guess Mother Teresa's working hard, sending them prayers their way. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And so this was a small town, which why do I feel like Catholic saints don't come from cities. Do you think that's accurate? If we looked at all of the Catholic saints, like 75% of them come from rural towns. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I think a city is more of a, I think it's more of a sinful place. A lot of temptations. There's and, you a lot get- of, and there's a lot of just more brutality about things that are going on, especially around this time. And, Mm-hmm. A lot of people, more confrontation. Um, and this may be a little early for a segment, but we're going to do this. I'm curious. I have some 
United States religion figures. And I want to question you. I'll give you two groups of people and you tell me who believes more in God. <laughs> I'm going to have very strong answers to these questions. I'm I telling think, you that in advance. I think you could get every single one of these. Okay. So, oh, so you actually have the answers. Yes. Okay. I don't have the rural versus cities, but I'm pretty confident it's rural. Anyways. Okay. So first of all, this U.S. population, when they're just asked if you believe in God, doesn't practice, but just would say they believe in God, it's 89%. I was going to guess 80. Yeah. Okay. What group of people believe in God more? People whose household income is less than 30000 or household income is greater than 100000 Less than. Correct. One for one. Less than 30000 91%. Greater than 100 k 83%. It's all those doctors. Say doctors don't <laughs> believe in God. <laughs> Another group, people who have a high school degree or less or college degree or more. Who believes more in God? I'm going to say high school slash GED or less. Yep, exactly. 93 to 83%. Okay, now this is a tough one. Which generation believes more in God? The greater generation, or excuse me, the greatest generation, you know, the World War II, the Depression era people. Mm -hmm. Personally, like my grandma, your grandma. Or baby boomers, which would kind of be people born in the 60s, 70s, around then. I'm going to say the greatest generation believes more in God. Mm -hmm. False. They're very close, but shockingly, baby boomers, 92%, greatest, 90%. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. Both very high. Both very high. Yeah. Overall, very high numbers. Um, people in prison or people outside those walls? Mm. Ooh, I'm going to say people in prison believe in God more than uh, people on the outside. Yep. Republicans or Democrats? <laughs> uh, the Green Party. <laughs> no, I'll go with uh, Republicans believe more. Speaking of green, environmentalists versus, you know, the general population. I'm going to say the general population more. Yeah. You were correct on Republicans and also correct. So you were correct on all of them, except for, except the, for the, the baby boomers. Which is just like, that's a tough one. You're, yeah, in your mind, tough. you're just like, they're both kind of old. <laughs> I would like to know the, the, the statistics because those are, it's 92, 90%. But I would love to know like Gen Z. Yeah. What their percentage is. Yeah. I didn't write them all down, but generally as you go younger, they believe less. Mm -hmm. um, the one exception, it was the greatest generation versus the baby boomers. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But isn't it crazy that the stereotypes for religion, like just exactly as we expected. <laughs> That's true. There's nothing more heavenly than a Republican in jail. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> an old, uh, an old <laughs> shrivelly Republican in jail. <laughs> Basically, Scream. Whitey Bulger <laughs> screams religion. I would put. I bet you he's religious. Whitey Bulger. I, I mean, I think a lot of older people are. Yeah. Ooh, do you believe in ghosts? What percentage of the country do you think believes in ghosts? Ooh. Or ghouls. Um, I would say 60%. 60%? I'm Googling it. I think, it, honestly, I think it's probably more. It looks like 45%. 45% believe in ghosts? Yep. 13% believe in vampires. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> vampires? Vampires are 13%? Yeah. <laughs> ghosts are only 45? Yeah, I mean, that's what this... Ghosts are way more reasonable. Oh, absolutely. Vampires is ridiculous. Maybe we should do a pod on Count Dracula. Ooh, that's a good call. That's a great call. That's right in our wheelhouse. I mean, Count Dracula was a person. <laughs> yeah. Was he a real person? I don't actually know the answer to that question. And we are now buzzing right back over to mm. Mother Teresa. So we've made it not very far. We got to she was born. <laughs> we are off the rails here. Let's keep going. I'm not, we, we got the location of her birth. So her, um, she's the youngest daughter of Nick. Is that Nikolai? Is that how you pronounce that? And Dranophile, which I thought was a sick name. Dranophile. Wow, bring that name back. Her father was involved in politics and unfortunately died when she was 18, eight years old. Not 18, eight years old. She was very interested in religion and she thought people who devoted themselves to religion were really cool. And by the age of 12, she had decided that she was going to commit her life to religion. Yeah, that's a young age. That's one of those people who just knows what they want to do the age of 12 and not only religion, I think she was pretty adamant about being a missionary. Mm -hmm. Yep. Missionary. It's, it seemed to be her calling was the missionary work. Mm. So, which is impressive. I mean, at 12 years old to go decide you're going to do something like that. You're going to, in a lot of ways, sacrifice your life for the good of other people. I think that's a uh, very commendable. Yeah, Absolutely. So at age 18, she puts her money where her mouth is and she leaves <laughs> to go to Ireland to join the Sisters of Loretta. And it's like a covent. Is that the correct usage of that term? Yeah. It's a covent. She learns uh, English because that, as a, as a missionary, she was thinking... I'm going to need to know English. It was the it was the language that everybody was being taught in in Ireland. So she learns English, and she um, never sees her mother or her sister again. Mm -hmm. And in those times, you know, pre flights, she knew this would be the case when she did the missionary at 18. She's leaving and never going to see her family again. And that just has to be one hell of a goodbye. It's kind of brutal. Yeah. There, there couldn't be like a, ooh, did, 
like right. pigeon mail was that a thing could we like keep in touch through pigeon mail <laughs> when were letters invented <laughs> like sending somebody a letter i mean because uh, i feel like a change of address she probably could have seen her mother and her sister again it's a good point especially later on when she had like some money and she was flying for health treatments it, it is a, a little surprising that she didn't see her family again, but I don't know at what age her mother died. And but, but I do know becoming a missionary, it was very common and kind of known that this would be the last time you would mm. see. Yeah, maybe that's just part of the deal. Is you're kind of giving yourself up to the religion and stuff, and you're no longer. I mean, she had a new name. Yeah. So I think you're you're kind of not who you used to be it's like a prior to life kind of thing yeah which yeah. is kind of sad yeah no i do think i think a lot of it is the time and you know they don't have the technology and the the vehicles to transport like we do currently but then i, I you might be right where they have this kind of ideology um but it's i mean it's starting to sound a little cultish it's starting to sound like jim jones you can't <laughs> talk to your family but i don't think they have that hard and fast rule and the line between cult and accepted religion can be very gray that's what i was thinking like the, the only thing we're missing here is her maxing out her credit cards and this is basically a scientology <laughs> situation we got going on here yeah it's it's a very gray area that the line between cult and religion Nonetheless, she uh, in 1929, she decides she is going to go to India, and there she learns the language Bengali and starts <laughs> teaching at St. Teresa's school. Yeah, and I mean, she ultimately would know five languages, uh, Albanian, where she's from, Serbian, which is near Albania, English, Hindi, and Bengali. So pretty impressive that I'm always impressed by people who can speak multiple languages. I think especially, it's so cool. yeah, especially those languages. I feel like are pretty different, like Albanian versus Bengali. All right. Power ranking top five languages you would like to know other than English. Mm, okay. Mandarin, because that's it's baller to know Mandarin. If you're from the Western world. Like people who know multiple languages in the Western world, it tends to be Spanish, French, these languages that are similar. Mm -hmm. But I hear Mandarin is so different of a language than it's just so tough to learn that I feel like it's baller. There's a huge population of people you can now talk to and you're unique. Like, if you can speak Mandarin, you should get paid an extra $50,000. <laughs> Have you seen on YouTube, there's this guy who, um, he's like a white guy from the U.S., and he has been studying Mandarin and for a really, really long time. It's like, it was like his major in college. And he goes to um, cities in China where he'll go into Chinatown in a city in the U S and he'll just order off the menu 
<laughs> in Mandarin. He'll start talking in English and sound like a tourist, and then he'll yeah. just switch to Mandarin, and it's pretty awesome. Love it. Yeah. And they're always mind blown because it's not very typical for somebody who was born in the United States and has no connection to um, China to be able to pick up Mandarin. It's like yeah. impossible. Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Facebook, famously learned Mandarin. And he did? Yeah. And I've seen him speak to like a crowd of Chinese people and they were just like, what the fuck? Wow, that is crazy. And I feel bad if a grandma started listening to this podcast because it's about Mother Teresa and I just dropped an F-bomb. Oh my God, how could you? I think if I had to power rank my languages, mm. number one would be Italian. Ooh, the sex appeal? I just love Italy. I just think it would be great. Number two would be Spanish for utilization in the United States. Mm-hmm. Number three would be I feel like Gaelic would be really cool. Yeah. Sure. I don't know if that's actually number three. The, really the first two yeah. ones that popped in my head. I guess Mandarin would be interesting. Mandarin. I think Arabic would be cool as well because there's just a vast population, you know, in Africa, all across the continent. So I think you open yourself up to a lot of people. And then I think if you could know some like deep cut tribe language and you just showed up and started speaking this random language to these natives... That'd be pretty special. It would be pretty cool to know. Oh, I really like the uh, Dutch language. Yeah, you like the way it sounds? Yeah. I, I don't know. It just sounded so badass. Yeah. Language. Nice. Regional dialects. That's another thing that's crazy. Yeah. When, <laughs> when I visited you in Birmingham, we went to like a convenience store or something, and the cashier was speaking English. And I had no idea what he was saying. He could he was for all intents and purposes was speaking another language. And he was speaking English. It just had that such a thick accent. He wasn't from Birmingham. I don't know where he's from, but it um it's actually crazy how with different accents that you could be saying speaking the same language, but especially when there's a little bit of the old alcohol involved <laughs> gets difficult to hear i remember going out to bars and stuff and i would just be looking at people nodding and just, yeah <laughs> smile and wave <laughs> smile and wave boys smile and wave that's a madagascar reference boom yeah madagascar the penguins okay mother Teresa. she takes her catholic vows in 1931 and when you take your Catholic vows, you get to, she becomes sister blank and she gets to choose her name. So she wanted to be named after Therese de Lisieux, who is the patron saint of missionaries. Again, on the missionary theme. Yeah. But someone in her convent already had the name Therese. So then she took Teresa. As, name, as her name, which is Spanish for Therese. Nice. Wow. Let's just throw in another language there. Very <laughs> cool. And so it's pretty intense being a nun. And I don't know if it depends on your covenant, convent, convent, convent. But the one she was in, they, they were only allowed to have three robes, like one to wear 
one to wash and like one on the, you know, on deck ready to go. And just, they were basically not allowed to own anything. They were, there was like a set amount of utensils they could own. It, it sounded very minimalist, um, which was kind of interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, that is interesting. And it kind of goes with the Mother Teresa theme of that her mission was helping the poor and part of her methodology in doing that was that she was also going to be poor, that it was yeah. very humble and uh, that there was no, she didn't like getting honors and she didn't like getting prizes or anything like that. She really kept up with the idea that she was just going to not have money. And when mm-hmm. she first started out, she was begging for food on the street. Yeah. No, it's kind of like we were mentioning earlier with charities where, you know, if people are taking in these big paychecks, spending a lot of money on advertising, it seems a little less genuine, you know, it raises a few more eyebrows. Um, so it's good that she at least is, she's certainly not becoming wealthy off of her um, charity. Yep. So yeah, so she took the name Teresa. That's why she took the name. All right, all right. So Mother Teresa is teaching at the Loretto Convent School. She teaches there for upwards of 20 years. And in 1944, she is appointed headmistress. So that's an impressive accomplishment. She was clearly destined for greatness because she was just so... Yeah, I I think she was definitely well-liked by people who met her. And yeah, at this point, she is mostly doing education in Calcutta. And she hasn't quite gotten to the point where she's doing the immense charity work. She's kind of, you know, going through the what you're what's expected of her when she joined to be a nun. Mm-hmm. Yep. So she's she's in India. She's uh, working at the school, being um, a nun. She's Sister Teresa now, and uh, some bad things happen in India. The Bengal famine of 1943 and the 1946 Direct Action Day, which is basically there was religious issues happening in India where people of different religions were putting each other down. Yeah, I think mainly Hindu and Muslims, I think there was a lot of um, tension between, and that was what the majority of people in the area belonged to one of those two religions. Like they were separating from England around this time. You have the famine, a lot going on, and the people suffered. Mm-hmm. So the poor population's not doing particularly well. There's uh, a lot of strife, and she's on a train, and she has. Uh, what they say is hearing the call, which is the call of her inner conscience, which is saying you as a missionary should serve the poor. That's what you should do, which is pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. And she's seeing this go on and she just gets right to it. And like it, it obviously grows to become this huge charity, but it started out as, and she would kind of go out in the streets and just 
look to help people in whichever way she could. So she would go out there. People are dying on the streets who don't have family they can rely on. And she'll just be next to them while they die. Or she'll see people who are hungry and then she'll go beg for food. So she's very much just realize there's an issue and just going on the front lines trying to address the issue as much as she can. Yeah. Trying to serve the underserved and trying to help people that are kind of being left behind in society. Yeah. And I, I think there's a well-known story of the, like one of the first people she helped was this woman on the street who they said she was like half eaten by rats and mother Teresa brings it to the hospital. You know, the hospital's full, they have their procedures and mother Teresa just like refuses to leave until they give her some attention. Um, and so I guess that's like a specific story that gives you a feel of what she was doing. She was just on the front lines, just trying to do whatever she can to help these people. Mm, that's very uh, commendable. Yeah. She was very committed to what yeah. she was doing and to the people she was doing it for, which mm -hmm. is great. She was, uh, and it seems almost unusual at the time. She was really getting notoriety for, for the work that she was doing or she started to. Yeah. Yeah. She definitely would. So in 1946, she's on another train ride. <laughs> another train ride, <laughs> which, so I'll, I'll finish. <laughs> so she's on another train ride and then she has what she called a call within the call of her inner conscience, which told her to leave the convent and, uh, to fully devote herself to serving the poor and giving up teaching, mm -hmm. which yeah. later on, she kind of, did you read about the stuff where she was talking about how she never, she questioned whether or not she actually, she questioned her faith quite a bit. Yes. So there's a famous letters release where she was writing letters to, okay. So she did write letters. She, we, Maybe she kept in touch with her family through letters, but she was writing letters to... Damn it, we solved it. <laughs> uh, she was writing letters to priests and spiritual leaders. And yeah, she would comment just, she definitely really questioned her faith. You know, if souls were real, if God was real. And it sounded like she went through some dark times of loneliness and just being very sad, seeing all that suffering and maybe her own personal suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is very tough because yeah, you devote your life to something and then you start questioning, almost questioning your reality in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. But then at the same time, she would always talk about how much she gained from helping the poor, you know, kind of this symbiotic relationship where, she is helping people who definitely need immediate, sometimes physical attention. And, but she's also learning so much from them because they have this deep life experience of, you know, being thrown out on the street with no one to help them. And um, so she definitely also talked about kind of the peace and, and happiness and joy she gained from helping them. But at the same time, it's going to take a toll on you to see such suffering. Oh, yeah. And um, she 
decides she is going to leave the convent. In 1948, she changes clothes. Now she's rocking the, um, it's called a sari, a white sari with the Mm -hmm. two blue lines, which kind of when people envision Mother Teresa, when I envision her, that's kind of what I, how I envision her. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think this is her trying to kind of integrate with the culture. She's very much an outsider in terms of religion. Christianity Mm -hmm. is a very small percentage in terms of how she looks, where she's from. Um, And I think this is a way of her kind of integrating into the population. And so she becomes an Indian citizen, which is another way to integrate with the local population. Absolutely. And she goes to a hospital to receive basic medical training for about six months, trying to make it so she can be a better caretaker for people that she's working with. Yeah. And I think that's something I didn't realize. What she does have this kind of intelligence and skills in terms of languages and, you know, some level of medical training, which I guess I I would not have known that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she worked on getting the tools to make mm-hmm. it so she can have the most reach that she can so that she can work with the least fortunate people that she can and communicate yeah. with them and make them make them feel better. Yeah. So, very commendable. And then things start to get rolling. <laughs> she starts to organize in 1949. She has a young group of women who start to work with her and help her out doing what she's doing. In 1950, she receives permission from the Vatican to start what would later become the Missionaries of Charity, which is a great name. Yep. Who You can't hate charity. These are her words. They would care for the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the crippled, the blind, the lepers, All those people who feel unwanted, unloved, uncared for throughout society, people that have become a burden to society and are shunned by everyone. Yep. Uh, Very honorable. Another famous phrase of hers, which I kind of liked, is the poorest of the poor. And one I think is kind of funny because it's starting to sound like a competition like, oh, you're helping the poor? Oh, we're helping the poorest of the poor. But she absolutely is. In reality, these are a lot of them were like physically handicapped children who who were orphans and had no one to care for them. It was people dying on the street. Like one of the first things she opens, um, she gets a Hindu temple and she opens the home for the dying in 1952. And it's literally there are people on the street dying and she just wants to bring them inside where they can have a mattress and have some warm friendly faces just to make their death experience basically or you know because they're about to die and and so she really is helping the poorest of the poor yeah yeah they she opened a hospice for people with leprosy who Mm -hmm. literally were just shunned from society yeah and they would care for them and at the hospices that they would have, if you were Muslim, they would read to you from the Quran. If you were Catholic, they would um, send people off 
in traditional Catholic fashion, they accepted people literally of any religion. They would care for you in the way that you needed to make it so you felt like you were one with your religion as you were as you were ending your life. Yeah, which um, which was yeah. very honorable. Yeah, and a lot of the people you mentioned had leprosy, which I feel like a lot of people know or you hear it in historical or religious texts like lepers. But anyways, leprosy. A lot of times you get these like very grotesque sores on your body. And there's a huge stigma against it, and you kind of get pariahed. But also, these sores, it's affecting your nerves, your skins. You can lose function in like your, like you can lose sight, you can lose function in your hands, and it, it sounds very painful. So, pretty intense stuff. Yeah, very intense. And uh, so, she's helping out those people, which is, uh, which is great. And she's getting a lot of notoriety for this, like even the. Mm-hmm. Like people high up in India are commending her for what she's doing. And um, she, the missionaries of charity, they are able to grow. And then that's kind of her life at that point is just kind of growing this charity, helping out new people. They, I think they first went to Venezuela and then they, this is in like the early 1960s. They expanded Venezuela. And then I think they were in Rome um, near the Vatican. And then they went to other countries in Europe. They came to the Americas and they're expanding there. And this is something that is still going on. They've, they've expanded tons over the, yeah. over the years. Yeah. And she herself, as you're saying, gains a ton of notoriety and you know later in her life through these times she is a huge name wins the nobel peace prize like celebrities i think it becomes fashionable for people to fly out there and it's just it's a huge brand mother Teresa, and you know now they have a lot of money rolling in to set up these other facilities and and give people the treatment they need but she was uh i was reading some just random stuff about her. She was the most well liked person of the 20th century. Really? She had the highest approval rating of anyone in the world. Interesting. And she was, cause she was so known. She had so much notoriety and was looked upon so favorably. Interesting. That she was, she was basically like the number one good person of the 20th century. Yeah. Interesting. Fair, because I'm a little surprised because she's not without her controversy. Um, and there was <laughs> there was a lot of, like I saw a few YouTube videos where they would have Mother Teresa with red eyes and like devil horns and be like, these are all the ways she's actually awful. Um, so she, she has her controversies. Do we want to talk about them? Now a good time? Yes. Now is a good time. Let's get into it. We're going to decide whether or not Mother Teresa was good or bad. Yeah, it is our duty to as podcasters. Yeah. With the number one we I would say we are the number one moral compass podcast assessors in the world. Clearly, we have already 
displayed this in our Santa episode, deciding who would be naughty and nice. This is very. This is basically that. Is Mother Teresa is she naughty, or is she nice? And there is a right answer on this. Mm-hmm. But if you want to get into the the controversies, so the big one. This is like the biggest controversy of all controversies as far as an issue, abortion and contraception. Um, she she was very much against abortion. She was also against contraception and kind of this modern science to prevent pregnancies. So I think that caused a lot of controversy because she was very vocal on like in I think in her mind, she equated abortion to murder. It's abortion is a hot issue. Very well, hot. About very as hot, hot as an issue could possibly be. Let's so get I'm, after So it. I'm just <laughs> sitting here. My uh, like I'm gripping my podcast microphone <laughs> harder than I've ever gripped anything. Yeah. I mean, my own personal opinions aside, I understand why people think the way that they do. Yeah. Because it's such a complex issue. Um. I get why they're so passionate. It's and I get why they're so passionate. Passionate because people just—it's one of those things where people are on the spectrum, somewhere on the spectrum, and like Mm -hmm. it's like that's where you are, and everything else is like either (laughs) destroying women's rights or murdering people. (laughs) So I like I understand why everybody's so passionate and why it's so hot button. Yeah, no, there's a reason. This is like this is, it's which like, is why it kind of like, excites me is that this is <laughs> such a hot button issue. I know, I know. I'm just worried. I'm just worried that we'll end up alienating our growing listenership by yeah. giving, yeah. by discussing abortion in any way. Mm-hmm. It's honestly crazy. <clears throat> All right, other controversies with Mother <laughs> Teresa. Do you have any other that I vaguely know of some? Um, so some people said that she didn't encourage sick people to get better, that she kind of just helped them on their way out, but mm-hmm. she didn't really give them good medical assistance. And that some people said that after Mother Teresa left, that people ended up being healthier because she made people, she almost made it acceptable to be poor and to be sick and then mm-hmm. just die instead of trying to get better. Yeah. Yeah. A couple things here. She, like her, the mortality rates at these facilities was very high. And I think that's certainly partially largely due to she is helping people who have like no other options than dying on the street so i think and she's you know she has a home for the dying so i think that plays a role into the mortality issues Mm -hmm. another complaint people might have with mother Teresa is just like kind of the operations of these facilities that as this grows and it gets all this money you know she's very skilled medically and personally but some people would think that you could find people who are better at running hospitals and in these types mm-hmm. of organizations. Who knows? Mm. Yeah, I can see that. That once things got to a certain point where she, after she had, she had a couple heart attacks, and then it was like, oh, should she offered to step down? And then people, the people that were in her group, 
basically said no. Like, did it get to the point where someone maybe with more specialized skills would be better served at leading the organizational charge? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, I think (laughs) my opinion (laughs) with like the controversies is that people are just, (laughs) I think this is one of those things where people are just finding a reason to make a good person bad. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I think you have this figure who is portrayed as holier than thou, like, and she, I think she has such a target because everyone just says so many good things that I think people know they can get a little bit of attention if they're contrarian. And I think a lot of people just tend to be contrarian. And so they're being very nitpicky and being like, well, she helped a lot of people. She could have helped more, could have helped them better. (laughs) Definitely. I think the, the controversy related to abortion, I think is something that regardless of anybody's view on abortive rights, I don't think she was necessarily coming from a bad place. She just kind of had an opinion on it. Yeah. And she wasn't personally coming from a a bad place on it. Mm -hmm. With that said, I think if people are unhappy about her opinion, that is fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think the way that she lived her life was like, yeah, it was, it was pretty spotless on everything that she did. Oh my goodness. I mean, she like just completely sacrificed her life to helping people. She did not benefit it financially in any way other than, you know, kind of the peace and happiness she gained from doing it. Um, and, and so I, it, it was comical when you watch these YouTube videos, you have these little excerpts and people try to portray Mother Teresa as like the Antichrist. And it's like, all right, maybe, you know, the operations weren't run perfectly smoothly, but but they just portray her as like the worst person that ever lived. And it's just like, you were trying to be contrarian. It's kind of entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, I, I just think there's no reasonable person who would look at the things that she did in her life and was like, that's a bad person. Like yeah, she a, so clearly tried to do good mm-hmm. yeah. so many times. And yeah. it was like, I don't know. It's crazy. I, she had, so after her second heart attack, they thought that the the devil, uh, maybe this isn't the best transition, but Ooh, I like they, where this is going. They they thought that there was potential that since she was so important to Christianity and to the Catholic mm. faith, that the devil may be trying to make her body fail. So mm. she actually had an exorcism done wow. on her. And she was okay with it. They did an yeah. exorcism to see if the devil was trying, was the one who was causing her health problems. Wow. I did not know this. Any other details? Did a demon come out of her? Did she convulse? No. No, I, I, I don't know. Inconclusive? Inconclusive. <laughs> Inconclusive. <laughs> but that was, uh, that was like how devout she was. That's intense. So if you had the option of witnessing this exorcism would you but you'd you'd have to like be in the room in the room yeah 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 i think being there for an exorcism would be epic yeah and depending what it is it could be kind of 
laughable a situation but i think when you're talking about mother Teresa, this person who's this huge figure and you have like the best exorcist priest out there i feel like it would feel very scary and real it would be and like who knows living if it in is a haunted real. house and yeah. so here's my question that i would want to ask the priest before i say yes what are the chances that the demon leaves her body and yes. enters mine? Yes. So because I don't mm-hmm. want that to happen. And I feel like you wouldn't find out. Other people would find out. Yeah. Being in the room, I do think you're open up to that, you know, good versus evil battles going on. And they might go after you. You may be caught in the crossfire. You become a demon. I would really hate to become a demon. I don't know. I was almost thinking like, what if I wore a hazmat suit? (laughs) Or if it was one of those situations where you were in, there was like glass and you were Mm -hmm. behind the glass. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like being in the room is part of what makes it the experience. So if you were behind the glass, you might as well be watching it on TV. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, maybe wear a cross. Uh, Garlic, does that, I, I don't know how to fight off demons. Does garlic, garlic is that only vampires or can we also <laughs> back to the Count Dracula thing? Um, holy water's got to be useful. I'm not baptized, so I feel like if oh. I was there for an exorcism, there's a chance that my entire body would just explode. <laughs> <At one point. laughs> just all of a sudden, <laughs> have you seen the movie? Uh, this is Spinal Tap. No. Oh my gosh. So it's a mockumentary. <laughs> Somebody out there is listening to this. And it's just like, yes, this is fun. <laughs> so it's a mockumentary about a band and the, there's a running joke throughout the movie about how the, the drummers keep dying. <laughs> and at, at one point they're like, and then the drummer just spontaneously combusted on stage. <laughs> That's what would happen to me. I think if I was in an exorcism. Yeah. But I feel like that's a risk you almost have to take. Yeah. No, I mean, you have to do it. Do exorcisms get done these days? Oh, absolutely. Yes. So is this something we could do? Could we go? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we should. But is it going to be one of those things where they don't want, they want to be taken seriously? So would they let us, because I'm I'm genuinely interested in seeing that. Yeah. So I do have one more segment, just a little nice. segment. Before we get to that, let's finish out her life. Mm-hmm. Um, she had some health issues, as we mentioned, in the 80s. And in the 90s, she, um, she tried to resign from the Missionaries of Charity. They had a secret ballot, and they didn't want her to resign. At this point, there's um, there's also a male version of the the missionaries of Ch- charity that was started. Where so now overall, there's like four hundred to five hundred men, like five thousand women operating in over a hundred countries. So she's grown the blueprint of this organization so much, and then eventually in. 1997, in the beginning of the year, she resigns from her position. And then later on in that year, she uh, passes away in 1997. 
and she gets a state funeral by the Indian government, which is where she uh, considered her home, even though she was born in Albania. Yeah, yeah. A citizen spends a lot of time in India. She did say, you know, I forget how she worded it, like she belonged to the world or, you know, she was just a citizen of the world. Mm. Yeah, the, there. Some, somebody said that Mother Teresa was the United Nations. A lot of good quotes just about how great she was. Also, yeah. another interesting thing, her birthday was August, 27th, August 26th, but she celebrated her birthday on August 27th because that was the day that she was baptized. I was actually talking to somebody about it. They have they have like the cool fun churches now where they have dunk tanks. <laughs> And they'll just, they'll baptize uh, you. They're uh, baptizing like hundreds of people a day. I love it. Um, and they'll just throw you in the dunk tank. There's this one priest who, after the baby is baptized, he holds it up like Simba, <laughs> walks around the church and everyone claps. Really? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so... <laughs> that's so extra yeah that i mean that's pretty epic do people does the crowd go wild oh pe- yeah pe- people love it and it's like he goes to the different sections so he'll go to the right and those people clap and then he goes to the middle <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible um so the last little bit that i have is the fact that so mother Teresa won all sorts of rewards in 2015 she was declared a saint mm, wow so to be a saint you have to perform a miracle. And in the case of Mother Teresa, there were they, there's this whole investigation that the Vatican does of miracles. And for Mother Teresa, um, she originally had a miracle where somebody said that she cured, they looked at a photo of Mother Teresa and it cured a tumor that they had in their abdomen. Mm-hmm. But then did it really hold up to the... Uh, didn't hold up to questioning when it turns out that she was being treated for the tumor for 12 (laughs) months before that. Um, But eventually in 2015, they accepted a story of um, somebody in Brazil who said that he had brain tumors and it was cured um, from mother Teresa. And um, there was something I was thinking about that. About the the saint, the becoming a saint process. Um, it was cured. Oh, so back. So supposedly it used to be way harder and they had a person that when they would go through and decide whether somebody was being a saint, they had a person who would be there and was designated as the skeptic in mm-hmm. the Vatican. Do you know yeah. what that person was called? Uh, no, what? That person was called the devil's advocate. <laughs> that is so funny. I did know that they would bring in people who are basically supposed to be to explain how this person should not be a saint and say they did all these bad things in their life. Mm-hmm. I the fact that they called it the devil's advocate is that the origin of the I think I'm just going to assume it is that that's yeah. the origin of that saying. But in the 1980s they stopped having a devil's advocate. So to make really? it easier for somebody to mm-hmm. which I I mean I feel like Interesting, because I do know they do bring, they brought witnesses of people who would claim, you know, Mother Teresa didn't actually care for those people appropriately. And, you know, they did, they did bring in witnesses to kind of 
vote against her. But yeah, so they're no longer doing the devil's advocate. Yep. All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us. <laughs> talking about Mother Teresa. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. Feel free to leave reviews. Let us know if there's anybody that you want us to research and talk about more or uh, topics or things like that. Yeah. Thank you. Until next time. Much love. See you later.